Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Brian Fox and Tim Cordova. Brian and Tim are two of my favorite Kelly Patrick Show political correspondents, and I I always enjoy my conversations with both of them. This is the first time I've done an episode with the two of them together. Really appreciate them coming on. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals to way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. So yeah. um, Brian Fox, Tim Cordova, you guys were saying, Tim, you said you enjoyed Brian Fox's comments on some of the union posts. You at least got a kick out of it. Yeah, because he was right on the money. I used to actually belong to the IBW a long time ago. I'm an electrician. Yeah, and a lot of that was said because, uh, for the most part, as you may have seen and as you will know, it was half in jest but half serious because I don't take those guys too seriously because none of them have any serious thoughts. Straight out the gate, all their comments are about class warfare, greed, a lot of emotional crap. And anybody who's spent more than, like, you know, five to ten years in the workforce and you've, like, actually had to get by on your own merit, you're like... If you can't do your own job and succeed, fuck you. Why do you need a group or a gang to make your life better? I mean, you must suck at life if you need a union, if you're genuinely a hard worker and if you've got talent. So that's kind of like the angle that I push because I don't take those guys too seriously, at least not online. Like I was telling Kelly here a few minutes ago, I can talk to these guys in person and I'm sure we'll have a very good conversation and I can hear them out and, you know, I'll listen to what they have to say. But when they get online, it becomes like a whole different animal for these people because they become very emotionally invested. Logic goes out the window. There's really no room for reason with these people because they can't formulate a very sane, coherent, thoughtful argument because they're very emotionally driven. And a lot of right-wingers are the same way. Hmm. Do you think think it's more prevalent on the left? Well, yeah, I mean, especially uh, we're just talking about unions, but when you start talking about uh, racial inequality and all this other stuff, yeah, 
it's all emotionally driven and they don't look at any statistics. Well, they don't even think about like, you know, and I guess the best way to put it is they can't take the fact that some people just suck at life and it's not for anyone else's you know fault other than their own. It's, you know, I've grown up around a lot of different types of people in a lot of different areas and I've never seen a situation where it's like, wow, it's really kind of particular that all minorities are held back, but the only people who are prospering are white men. Hmm. But you're everybody say- else is just sucking at life in this particular You're saying that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It's it's ridiculous. I've been in all kinds of areas in all parts of the, you know, the country and like people are succeeding of all walks of life. It's just that usually people who suck at life have a habit of using it as an excuse. It's because the man is holding me down. The system is holding me down. It's something or someone else other than my own stupid decisions and lack of effort or quality or inability to provide anything of value. Yeah, the CEOs in this case, you know, they're making all of the money. Mm. These owners are making all of the money, but they're also making taking all the risk and exactly uh, putting in all of the investment into these companies. You know, I, I think that the union, especially when you look at the IBEW, when they came about, it was very necessary to, to have um, workers' rights with regards to safety. You know, that was that was the original IBEW premise, you know, because elect, these electricians are being electrocuted on these high-voltage high lines. So, uh, but what we've evolved into today, absolutely, in my opinion, um, it, it, it breeds laziness. Uh, I, I saw that firsthand once somebody, uh, some, once somebody's, a, uh, got seniority, my gosh, it's almost, it's damn near impossible to get rid of them. And they uh, know and it. Lay- and the mentality yep. catches up with them real fast. Yep. And, and, and then when layoffs do happen, shit, you lose all your good ones because the good ones are the ones that are trying to get to that point where they don't have to worry about the layoffs. So they're working their asses off. And so those are the ones that are that that, that go. Well, um, to, well, to the point about the CEOs and this, well, as how the unions came to be, um, I would argue that in terms of the CEOs, yes, they get paid a lot of money, but there's not too many people in society that know how to run a multi-million-dollar or a multi-billion-dollar company. And I'm not saying that they do it entirely by themselves, but somehow they ascended to that point with some merit. Now, I would also argue that it's agreeable to say that at times CEOs can become equally a bunch of jackasses that are gambling and making stupid decisions. But typically speaking, the system will flush them out if they suck. They will only last as a CEO for so long before someone says, okay, you're making stupid decisions. You're costing us money. We're going to have to let you go golden parachute, whatever the hell we do, but you're not going to stay there if you act that way. So, and I would say that in terms of what I saw recently in regards to this recent, um, the, the strike was like, you know, they're talking, they're the talking points about, you know, the share in the wealth. Well, that's cool. I've heard that one before too. Do you also, <laughs> do you also want to share in the losses? Mm. So when the chips are down, are you willing to give up something or is it, you only think that you're entitled to something when things are going well? So there's a lot of entitlement there's a lot of kind of one-sided point of view about things. 
And honestly, this is a lot of dumb shit that I knew better about when I was 12 years old, that these people are grown adults and they still can't comprehend. And it really, I just kind of find it laughable. It's like, I was a kid when I understood the value of a work ethic and you're not entitled to a damn thing. You work for everything that you get. Would you guys say maybe this theory holds some weight? The more on the left, and I know this is back to what we were talking about earlier, so this is me jumping all over the place. The less the left emphasizes the existence of a father figure in the home, the more even the men, even if they're not trannies or anything, but they start to kind of take on some emotional character, characteristics of women. So and I therefore, ra- so- those on the left are driven by emotion <laughs> more so than people who are more so, uh, so I, I, uh, in a masculine, uh, manly type environment. I can actually speak to that personally. I was raised by a single mom, and I can tell you this much. Yes, there is a deficit there. However, community, that includes friends and family in your surrounding environment, can also make a difference. Coming up without a father alone is not going to be a permanent strike against you. There's going to be effects to that as well, but it's going to be the community and the culture around you that makes all the difference in the world. And this is something I say, especially to feel notice there's a huge difference in discrepancy in the culture from the black community and the Hispanic community. Huge difference. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not allowed to say that. I just did. (laughs) um, You'll notice that in the Hispanic culture, family values, respect goes a long way. Okay. They take care of one another. They're in it for. They're in it together. They're a family. They take care of one another. When you look at the black culture, predominantly, each man for himself and what's in it for me. Yeah, there's definitely a, a culture problem. Um, I don't know how much uh, uh, Kelly has has told you, but um, these are things that I pay a, a close attention to. I too was raised by a single mom, but I grew up in a mostly uh, Hispanic, you know, a Mexican. Uh, half Mexican. My mom's Japanese. And my dad left my mom in a Mexican neighborhood and five boys. So uh, it would be very easy for me to uh, use a lot of emotion when I'm talking. Um, but but the culture problem is definitely apparent. I went back home uh, to West Denver a couple months ago. I don't know if Kelly's seen it, but I'd posted some uh, some video of my old neighborhood place where I used to work. And it just went to hell. And uh, what really shocked me that I continue to see, I've seen it during the election and I've seen it again when I was out there, is the amount of Hispanics that are leaving the Democratic Party. And I'm talking in a, I mean, lowriders with Trump stickers on their freaking lowriders and houses with uh, Latinos for Trump and well, I, was I, think really part, I think part of that phenomenon is, and maybe you can agree to this, they like what they call a strong man leader. They don't like a, a person who panders them that appears to be weak or impotent but promises them a lot. They prefer someone who's boisterous and strong over someone who maybe is a slick talker but doesn't come across as very masculine and very str- a strong leader. They prefer a strong leadership. Is that what it is, Tim? Uh, well, I know that in uh, Mexican culture, one family is really important, but there's a huge emphasis on the father, especially uh, machismo. I don't know if you ever heard of that term before, but uh, just manliness in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that uh, I don't know. I-, I was really thinking when I went back the second time, because I seen it during the election, I thought, well, maybe that that shine had 
rubbed off on Trump, you know, with all of the, the battering that he's been getting. Uh, but God, no, I, I, I'm really shocked, actually. And uh, when we talk about culture, I, I want to bring something up that I was having this discussion with somebody. It's funny, we were coming on to talk about unions, but we're talking about this. But Sorry. All kind of and actually, I think, I, just to be fair, I think we're, this is pretty much an open conversation. We yeah, can, yeah, it's whatever. Can take you it, you continue, wherever, you continue with your thought, Tim. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things I had a conversation the other day, when we were talking about culture, and, and, and somebody asked me, hey, you grew up there. What kind of rap did you listen to? And I said, well, Mexicans really didn't listen to rap. They listened to a lot of metal uh, or they listen to, you know, Hispanic music or regular, you know, just regular music like everybody else uh, or everybody else, you know, rock, whatever. And they were like, well, what about uh, you guys didn't listen to NWA? And I said, well, let me tell you something. I can remember back when NWA first came out that uh, rap group. And I can tell you that nothing good came of that genre in that community and what i mean by that is is it that that music i could visibly see it really amping up people um the culture that it brought in of just carelessness and the shooting and you know fuck the police and killing your own people you know it was uh it was a it, rap music changed i can remember that when it, when that all happened and uh it, it was just funny i i i was telling this individual i i think that has had a huge impact on african-american culture um you know if you're constantly listening to that if you're constantly hearing that and these are the people that you hold up to be your role models it has a huge effect on you well, and I would say this, there's probably actually, believe it or not, there's a little bit of a carryover or a, a similarity that goes on within the white community and Donald Trump. Mm. A lot of white men are very, they have a lot of pride. They have a lot of desire for success. They have a lot of desire to uh, pound their chest and be like, I'm the man. And that's what they see in Trump. And that's what they like about Trump is that he's not afraid to admit that. Okay. He's not afraid to say, I'm the man. I'm awesome. I'm proud of who I am. That's how a lot of middle class working guys, even upper middle class guys, that's and, how they view themselves. And you'd say that's similar to idolizing rappers? I would say that it's the same mentality as they look to somebody who represents their ideal, their what they what they desire for themselves and for others in their community as something that they that's what mm. Trump represents as a very powerful, accomplished kind of a braggart almost a little bit in that sense of, hey, I'm the man. Look what I've done. Mm -hmm. That's what they appreciate about Okay. But I think, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. Yeah. In the same way that, to be fair, I think in the black community, I don't think it's intended to be malicious. No, it's I think it's just all that they know is if you want to rise up and get yours, you've got to be this tough guy. You've Mm. got to be this gangster. So you're talking about back to machismo. Correct. And it's what the parallels are is, and I think we can get a little bit, I guess we can go a little bit deeper with this. Each community, each culture has its underlying, how shall we say, uh, there's going to be certain aspects that they tend to gravitate towards, whether it's Hispanics and family 
and blacks towards, you know, the males and individually and white men and their families and certain respects, how they approach things. I don't necessarily think that there's necessarily malicious intentions from the black culture as much as there's a lack of guidance. They've surrendered the family unit to the government and they've kind of like, they don't know what the fuck that they're doing, to be honest with you. And there are some people that when they get their shit together and they teach their kids, hey, you got to actually get a job and support yourself and support your family, they're viewed as sellouts. And it's very stigmatizing for them because they don't want to be seen as sellouts by their friends. Sure. But it, it takes a real independent thinker to realize I would rather support myself and my family than try to be this gangster that everybody else in the community thinks I should be or that I should do things a certain pathway. Um, it's because that sort of leadership role, that idea of being an accomplished man the right way, looks like you're a sellout. Mm. Tim, do you think there's something to that? Yeah, so that kind of makes me think about, you know, I'm an educator. Of course, I'm an electrician, so I, I teach other teach young people or anybody really for that matter to become electrician. You know, it's, we're constantly talking about how can we increase uh, diversity in the electrical trade? We offer everything (laughs) to try to get that boosted. They are just not interested. I I don't know what it is. Uh, Maybe it has part of who's they Tim. The, the the inner city African American community they're just they're not they not interested not, in being electricians at all. Not, I don't think they're interested in the skilled trades. Well, and, and so and if we were to think about it, it's not because there's a lack of aptitude. It's yeah. because there's a lack of desire. So what you're saying they're not they're not they're, dumb. they're they're not thinking in terms of I can't do this job. It's like why would I want to do this? Why do I want to do hard, yes. honest work that requires effort mm. when I can do something that fulfills a certain need within me that makes me feel good? They don't see anything of value to a skilled trade. Could we blame some of that on the welfare state? A hundred percent. Well, there is also, but it's also a culture. It's the entertainment. They uh, they're very entertainment driven. Sports, rap, uh, the music, all of that. That's kind of what they see. And so that's kind of that's how you make it in that culture. Correct. Owning a little your own electrician practice, which could create generational wealth for you and your kids and their their kids. Even who knows? That doesn't sound very appealing for a lack of talent, because there's plenty of kids. I mean, there's great. There's people of talent. Talent is not unique to any race. Which is funny is because that's why I said it's not that there's a lack of talent or ability. It's just a lack of desire. Hmm. Hmm. That I just it goes right back to this culture thing. So I can tell you that in 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 Mexican neighborhoods, we've got bricklayers, concrete people, framers, roofers, you name it. They're into those skill trades. You know, they it's it's not nobody looks down on those people in, in the Hispanic community, but. It is very obvious. All you've got to do, you go into into the black community, start looking for those kinds of businesses. They're hard to they're hard to find. You just don't see them. And I've got to, probably the most diverse class I've ever had. I've got three African American students in this class. I got two women in it. 
It's the most diverse class I've ever had. Two African-American women be becoming electricians? Two, two white, or one Hispanic woman, one white woman, uh, and three African-American males. And all three African-American males are, are good at it. They're good at it. Wow. But they chose it. And it's so, <clears throat> that's very unusual. I'm, I'm telling you, it's very, I've been doing this for well, 27 years. And that's, this is the most diverse class I've ever had. Uh, it, could that be possibly reflective of a trend? Or do you think they will stick with it, Tim? Well, these three, I think, are, uh, I think these three would be very good at it. Um, that's a good sign, maybe. Reflective of a trend? No. You know what's kind of funny is, so in the private sector, in my limited experience, I guess, I would say that where I saw the most the predominance of black men or men of any kind of an ethnic diversity where they succeeded the most, guess where it was at? And it was not in the private sector, actually. It was in the military. Mm, yeah. A lot of black and Hispanic men thrive and succeed in the military. Tim, you're former military also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's and what true. I, and what I saw was the, the rank, the structure – it appeals to what they need, to what they want. Sure. And so they can strive, they can be disciplined, they can follow orders and they can give orders, they can be responsible because they feel that sense of respect for themselves, that sense of value that they're seeking, and that's why they go far. You will find a lot of leadership, black people and Hispanic people. And they, they quit, I mean, honestly, among your most passionate, hardworking leadership, I would say some of the most incompetent leadership I think I ever saw was the white officers. Really? Yes, the white the off the the college educated white officers were among the biggest shitbags that I remember in the military. That offends me that you would say that. Because I am white. I'm just telling you the truth, when you, when my you man. Think about what, what he's really saying though goes back to this culture thing of um, a fatherless home. So so why are these guys doing so well? Why are they gravitating towards the structure, that environment? As I'm well the military, at least in the past. Very manly, male-oriented, structured, uh, masculine. Well, my guess is they initially go in probably with a little bit of skepticism, probably just a little bit of kind of like, what else am I going to do? They go in there, then they see all these other men that look just like them with mm. rank, with yeah. stature, getting respect, and they think, oh, shit, that's how it's done. That's how yes. I can become a person who is respected. I don't have to be a gangbanger. I don't have to be an athlete. I don't have to be a rapper. I can be just like this guy who's in charge of 50 or 100 people, and he's respected by them all, and he knows what the hell he's doing. And that's what they see, and they, they, they find something that is not represented to them in the world that they came from. It's not often seen. Positive male. Figure. Yes. The structure, yeah. and, the stru and they adapt to it very quickly because they want it. It's not for a lack of it's not for a lack of ability. It's for a lack of desire when they're in the private sector. But when they're in the military, they realize that there's a benefit and a value to conforming to the system and being a responsible, strong person. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. You know, you kind of all these parallels that you draw, especially back. You know, we go back to the union. Um, I see the union is declining. I don't know what the statistics, I didn't really look, but I just, I feel like it's probably declining. 
Do you think mm-hmm. a lot of it is because union people are starting to realize that union leadership is out for itself and for their political structures? That's what it's evolved into. Yeah. It's all about power. You think that they're seeing that? That and and then two, do you guys remember when Obama was was making fun of uh, Trump about a magic wand for bringing back manufacturing? Yeah, he had wrote off manufacturing, and then, and, and then Trump, then Trump, you know, but a couple of years into his term after they started coming back, he's like, I guess I found my magic wand after all. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so you're seeing this more competitive marketplace too, where. Um, when he resurrected this manufacturing, I think the more competitive the marketplace is, it's more competitive and you get a better product when you don't have these companies beholden to these ridiculous labor requests. I mean, they're looking for a 40, is, is this right? 46% raise yes. to their pay. Yes. That is sickening. I mean, who gets a, 46% raise. Yes. In and they day. also, and they also want to reduce the work week to a four, a four day work week. And actually one thing I wanted to mention was Glenn Beck just did a really good segment about on his radio show the other day. I wish I would have queued it up for you. Maybe you can do it in the background while we're chit chatting. But in one of his first hour yesterday of his radio show towards the end, he did about a five minute rant about unions and about what they were asking for and what they were trying to do. And they said it, was, it all stems from, the push for green energy and the fact that they know that eventually green energy vehicles require a lot less labor to put together. So the reason why they're pushing for more pay and for less hours is they know that workforce is going to become more and more obsolete for these newer vehicles. There's not going to be required as much. So they're trying to set themselves up for that, knowing that that's what's coming down the line, that the more that they do electric vehicles, the less people, the less manufacturing is required for that. Yeah, not to mention the fact we're automating these people out of work. Correct. You um, know, they they're 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 forcing these companies to automate them out of work. You can see it in McDonald's where you know they're wanting all these uh, you know the, the raise in their wages, and now you just walk. Heck, you got apps where you order your food and it's ready for you when you get there. You know, you don't have to have somebody right there at the cashier. It's already yeah. paid for. You touched on something that I think is a really good point for us to really uh, get into for just a minute or two, just for the sake of anybody who's actually listening that might want to consider this or for us to reference about why manufacturing left and how we can bring it back, and it all comes down to economics. And this actually is something that I mentioned on my own Facebook page about what's causing the migration issue. So in very simple terms, the cost of doing business. When you overregulate and overtax businesses, you make it very difficult for them to have workers and invest in locally. So the reason why they go overseas is not because they think that, you know, Malaysian or Mexican or anybody else is providing the best outstanding workplaces, it's because it's cost-effective to do it over there. Well, why is it cost-effective? Because they don't have to pay billions in dollars in fees and taxes and regulations to do business here. So literally, the government is the one that is putting the burden on the manufacturers, the big businesses, to do business here at home to be able to afford to pay American workers. So when normally, all they would have to do is buy the property the equipment and even maybe the insurance and stuff like that, it's not so bad. You can, you know, you can kind of like, you know, account for what it's going to cost to build and produce a facility and for all the people. 
But then when you got to throw in all the ridiculous fees, the inspections, the taxes, the regulations, OSHA, IRS, healthcare, all this other stuff, the environmental stuff, your cost triples at least. So it becomes very difficult. And then on top of that, you add the unions where they want to come in and they say, well, we want a piece of the pie. So instead of, you know, a fair wage, they want more because it's all under this idea that if the CEO is going to get millions of dollars, we deserve a piece of that. So the original cost of business, which was very reasonable and affordable, just becomes completely untenable when you add in the government and the unions. And that's what these people don't even think about. No. And and was it, I want to say it was, was it, Chevy that lost 3.1 billion a couple years ago. Was it Chevy? They were down. And now this year they're finally up like 2.1 and oh, let's stick it to them now. <laughs> you know, so, so the, the company took a massive hit. They took that hit. Their workers didn't take that hit. The company took that hit. But think about like what Trump did. Like he didn't even necessarily just, so he didn't roll back regulations altogether. He didn't roll back taxes altogether. All he did was offer them a little bit of a break, right? That was one of his best things about his presidency was his regulatory posture. They eased the regulatory burden upon business. They didn't wipe it all out completely, of course, but they made it a lot easier. Well, that tells you everything you need to know right there. If you just make it easier to do business here, then we're going to do business here. People don't want to ship jobs overseas. They do that because that's the only way that they can make money. So I just wonder how, and I, are you guys following along on this? Cause like, I just, I want to make sure that this is clear for the people that are listening. It's not because companies are inherently malicious or evil or so greedy. They're trying to pinch every penny. It's just that they literally cannot afford to do business here because of the cost of it. And I just mm-hmm. want people to really sink in with that and realize. I think it's difficult for them to get past the optics of a, a CEO making 29 billion a or $29 million a year. Yeah. I think that optics right there for, for a lefty who's listening right now, they're like, you say they're not you know, pinching every penny, so, but so, why does the CEO need that much and, money? And I can, That's their mind, and mindset. I can, and That's I can, what it is. And I'll answer that. Let's, let's steal man that argument. Cool. You don't think any CEO is worth 25, 30, 50, 100 million. Cool. So first of all, think about a large business that brings in a couple billion. Two... F- 20 million is not a whole lot. Let's just say that you okay. think it's unfair. Let's just go with that. You want a piece of that pie. Well, why don't you divide out 25 million to 150 to 160,000 union workers and see how much that comes out? To. It's not that big of a deal. It's like a pizza. Okay. So their mm-hmm. logic is complete. They're ignorant. They are literally economically ignorant because if even if you were to say you're entitled to that profit of what that CEO makes, you're getting maybe a pizza. Now, you can say we don't agree with that, but that's not your place. You've got shareholders. You've got a board of directors. You've got people who are responsible for finding this kind of talent and saying, who is it that can make these kinds of decisions that have the experience to run our management? You, There's the kind of a canard amongst a lot of people that are like, it's the workers that do all the job. They make the company. These CEOs, all they do is play Facebook all day. It's so fucking stupid. Yeah, it's it like just getting into middle management, it would blow your mind the level of responsibility that these people have. And then the higher up you go, now, I, I ain't going to disagree. There's a lot of shitty managers out there, and there's a lot of people making stupid decisions. But like I said, typically the system will flush them out if they are really they stupid. get rid the of economy. them, too. Yes. They're company people. 
They ain't unionized. <laughs> and they're not government. Yeah. I think the government is the only one that has seen an increase in uni unionization. I don't know. You might have to stat check me there, but I'm pretty sure general union. And it's not by accident. I get, so there's a very the strong, there's down. a very strong parallel between strengthening the unions, Democrat party and the government in general. It's all one <laughs> big organ, you know, self-serving organization. Two, two largest union states. I do know this is, uh, I'm, I'm almost certain it's uh, Hawaii and uh, New York. Really? Hawaii? Yeah. Yeah. Hawaii of all, well, the tourist industry. That makes sense. Wow. Guys, yeah. I am not a union employee. My father is not a union employee. I don't have any union uh, employees in my family off the top of my head. I mean, I've got some my cousin's husband, I think. But you know what I mean? It doesn't impact me. My question mm -hmm. to both of you is, why should someone like me even care about unions? You shouldn't. Yeah, I don't think you should. I, I'm not against them. Like I, I don't think that they should go away. I think that uh, I just get tired of listening to them freaking bitch about things that 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 your the other workers are like. What the? Yeah, I think. Let my, me I give think, you an example. I so an example would be I'm not going to say the companies, but there's two companies in Elizabethtown. One of them unionized UAW. Their workers probably make thirty five, thirty eight dollars an hour. Well, then you got the non unionized company those workers are probably making 29 30 dollars an hour somewhere in that range same workers same everything's the same and when you talk about a 46 percent increase in pay <laughs> it's absurd really you, you know and, and both and those are students of mine that i'm talking about went out into industrial doing industrial electricity work they're both making a good living you know, even the one working in the non-union shop, they're making a good living, a much better living that they had before they started. And uh, it's it really is absurd. Do you think the non-union electrician you're referring to, Tim, in that example, are there any parts of his job that are better than the union employee, the union member? Because um, it sounds no, like he's, he's making less. He's making less. Um, I will say that, that, well, first of all, getting into the union is a task in of itself. Okay. So everybody's like, well, why don't those guys just, you know, go get into the union? Well, first of all, that particular company, um, they're very selective on who they bring in. Uh, you got to have experience right out of the gate in order to get in, but, um, they're very selective on, on who they bring in. Is it better? No, I'll be 100% honest with you. Unions have the best benefits. I mean, think about it. That's so what they're lobbying for. Not only they have the best benefits, they want to have really, really, really good benefits yeah. now. So here's how I look at it. And it's a really simple approach. And I'll say this on the with the next guy. The basic reason why unions came about for basically basic safety and kind of job security, mm -hmm. I'm cool with that. And as long as it's done on a voluntary basis where a group of people are like, hey, we're going to leverage our co collective experience and, you know, our on the job, so to speak, say, hey, look, we just want a better work environment and we just want to make sure that everything's going well for us as well. So all of us together are willing to walk out unless 
you can improve conditions here. In that respect alone, I'm perfectly okay with it. Once you, the problem with modern unions, and ever since they became legalized, or at least legally codified, I think it was back in like what the 40s or the 50s or whatever it was, or even in the 30s. Was that National Labor? Yeah, that's the problem. So once they got the legal endorsement, that's when it changed the game because it was no longer about a voluntary, you know, sort of like a effort. The, the government got involved, and then it changed the game and how they approached everything. The very essence of simply saying we want to organize collectively to get a better deal, there's nothing wrong with that. That, that Fine. And the company can have the opportunity to say, you know what, screw you guys. I will get rid of you, and I will hire somebody else if I can. As if long it, as they're able it, to it, then it, say, we don't want that, fire you. Then and then I'm, you can do that. Okay. They can't do that anymore. They can't just fire everybody. But if they have the option, they can say, hey, look, take your bet. Is it better to just negotiate with us or to start over with somebody else? In that respect, that's cool. Here's the other flip side of it. Skilled labor. Not people that are just showing up and just doing what they're told like an hourly job. You're an electrician. Is that correct? Yes. If you were to go out on your own as an electrician, let's just say you're business savvy even whether you work for a business or start a business, you're still going to be making bank. Why? Because you have a trade. You have a skill that's in demand. Even if you decide you just wanted to do the bare minimum 40 to 45 hours a week, go work for somebody else, just do what you're told. You don't want to have to put a whole lot of thought into it. You just want to go in and put in your, your daily shift and be done with it. You're still going to get paid. And you don't have to worry about job security. Because if it doesn't work out there, it'll work out someplace else. Why? Because there's not nearly as many people who can do electrical work as people who can flip burgers. And it's basic economics that a lot of these people don't get. If you don't mm -hmm. like your circumstances, if you work for Joe Smith, and Joe Smith is an asshole. He doesn't want to pay you. He doesn't want to give you days off. He just wants to grind you like a dog. You can go work for Bob Smith. Bob Smith pays you a lot better, but maybe he still wants to give you ridiculous hours. Then you go work for somebody else, and they give you everything that you want. You have market value. You are more important to them than they are to you because you have a skill tree. And this is, again, this is basic economics. I understood this shit before I was even 15 years old. <laughs> this, yeah. And this is this, but this Free is markets would, would balance this out very quickly. Yes, but people don't understand this. They look at unions as in, well, shit, this is the way that I get ahead. Someone said on my post, money. we wouldn't even have, no one in this country would have health insurance if it wasn't for unions. These people are Someone said that on my post, and I'm not trying to single <laughs> anyone out. I'm just like, hey, uh, I'm a health insurance agent, actually, <laughs> for many yeah. years. Um, it's my family's trade. I don't think you know what you're talking about. And if you really want to talk about how the government fucks up everything, let's just talk about how the government fucked up the insurance industry. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah. But just the basic premise is, are you really better off with the union if you have a skill? And is that really the issue? Is You basically, if you're an unskilled person, labor might actually be a pretty good way for you if you have no self-value and you don't see a path for yourself. But if you have value, if you have a trade... You can market yourself and you can make more money and do better by yourself. I, see, I don't see how you piss people off on my posts, Brian. I, I don't see how your language could possibly offend someone. You just I, I basically my said. Off. I'll be honest with you. I just happen to be strolling, sitting there in my damn underwear on my couch. 
And I've seen your post there, and I, I see this Brian Fox, and there's like 26 replies. Those are the ones I want to go to. You know? so I click that. And then you got to go backwards, uh, like the original comment, you know, and I'm like, holy crap, this guy's really giving it to me. Well, and if you think about what the guy has said, they talked about the greedy CEOs and all this other shit. I'm like, do you have – and like one guy, I think he um, – it was either on that post or one. I went to his wall and I found something else. And somebody said, like, you know, all these CEOs, they all make all this money, but they don't do anything. I'm like, how many CEOs do you actually hang out with? Yeah, what are you talking about? So, first of all, I've met and known a couple CEOs. I don't hang out with CEOs, but, of course, the, the, the nature that I work, I've had encounters with CEOs. And I'm going to tell you right now, you don't get to become a CEO by being a dumbass. Or being un- unskilled labor, someone who picks something up, <laughs> Walks it 10 feet and then goes back and picks something up and walks it 10 feet. And, and you do that for eight hours a day. That's the guy saying the CEO isn't worth a shit. And, and I'm like, what in the hell is going on here? And here's the thing about it. I've done my plenty of my time as entry level or just hourly work. I'll tell you this right now. Hourly workers do more to cost companies money than anybody in the executive ever will. Because they waste so much time, they make so many mistakes, they cause so many problems, it's unfucking real. And they have the audacity to think that they're entitled to more. Tim, you think Brian is, is ruthless? I thought he was ruthless in his comments. I kept thinking, shit, I gotta meet this guy. <laughs> I think he called somebody, you said... The you com- they're all a bunch of commies, He really. just went straight for calling people commies. What do you think of that, Tim? Is that a leap you to know just what say they really commies? are. When you, when, when you start... Somebody actually told me, too, he goes, you know, unions, if it wasn't for unions, we'd be a socialist. Contrasting. They embody socialism as I, far as I'm That's concerned, another yeah. thing. Is even if I don't know much about unions, which I really don't, okay... I can at least look at the people who are real pro-union and be like, what kind of person is this? Let's look into the leaders of these unions. Let's look into the people who advocate for the unions. Well, guess what? They're all socialist, communist, uh, egalitarian people. That's what it is. So why complicate it here? I can't believe that even a lot of Republicans support unions. There's a lot of disparity between the blue color. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of disparity between the blue collar worker types that are just like they're only in it for the benefit of the workers versus the more political types where it's like the bigger picture of how can we get more power and advantage over the corporations. They truly, if you talk to them, and let's just put it this way. If you listen to some of the interviews with these leaders and if you get to know any of them personally, it is very political. It has almost nothing to do with the wages and how they treat the labor and has everything to do with political power, just kind of overall the larger spectrum of how can we have more control over the larger society. It's really not about fair wages to them. Because if you think about it, who else makes a shit ton of money besides CEOs? Union leaders. Diane Feinstein, did you see her last total there? I know she passed away, bless her heart, but uh, what was her final worth? Like 220 mil? And she's been a lifelong government employee? Well, if you save that Senate salary, I guess it all adds up, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess um, I did want to say something. I wanted to tell Kelly. He knows that I switched uh, from being a Democrat from way back to becoming a Republican. 
And then when I met him, actually, I listened to a couple of his podcasts. I think I commented on one one time. I know he's a libertarian. Um, I have uh, got a lot more libertarian ideas in my head now. Okay. I cannot tell you that I am a libertarian or some things that I just can't wrap my head around that they believe, but I think that's okay. And one of the things that I was telling Kelly that I think I'm starting to see a little bit of is I would love to see the libertarians as the liberals, the or the, I should say, yeah, the woke liberal. Libertarians need to invade the Republican Party. That's what Thomas Messi and Rand Paul tried there. to do. They have got, we have got to have more. So uh, I'm not going to say Rand Paul is a full on libertarian, but boy, he I, I do like a lot of stuff with him. Massey, really so, like Thomas. Yeah, Massey so we him. tried that. The issue with that is because I I go back and forth on this a little bit. Um, I generally like the idea because the third party libertarian party is really struggling, and there's a reason behind that. By the way, the libertarian party was not always run by how shall we say the best libertarians. Yeah, there's a woke version of libertarians yes, that have ran shit yeah. in the libertarian party for years, super woke. They're not currently leading. That's what Brian said. So the problem I see also with the Republican party, especially with it comes to bringing the Liberty movement to the Republican party is think about who runs the liber the Republican party yeah. as a whole. Oh yeah. And you can't, yeah. even if you were to get in a few people elected, the overall leadership yep. of the Republican party, they're it's just difficult. A, they're, it's just the unit party. Thomas Massey endorsed Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> <laughs> to become to be to right, yeah, and he's it, also a DeSantis guy, which DeSantis okay, is. That's I, what I mean. So, and I think DeSantis is more establishment than I really care for. So, so what I mean is, even if you do try that, and I'm with you, Tim, I'm I would love it, and I, I you have to. And, I wore and, a Rand Paul shirt Rand, to yoga today in public about, in Jefferson County, and also to jujitsu. I love Rand. Paul. And Rand Paul endorsed Mitch twice. The first time he ran, and then <laughs> just recently. Wow. So. See, you got to yeah. play the game. You got to play the game, and then inevitably it leads to, I guess, I'm, bad stuff. I'm saying is, is in Republican circles that I'm seeing because I, I belong to dirt different different Republican clubs and they don't like Mitch McConnell. Okay. Well, there's a lot they, of they, they're, they're, they woke up to it. You there's know a I'm lot saying? of conservatives who definitely don't like Mitch, but think about it this way. And if you've ever been active within the Republican Party or to any degree, which it sounds like you have, and I have as well, there's a lot of Republicans, even in the grassroots level. They're still more Republican than they are conservative. They're there for the party. They're there for the traditional family values approach. They're not there for the core principles. They're there for the whole God and country kind of vibe. They're yeah, not yeah. very serious. They're nice people, but they're not very serious, and they're not very principled. You mean principled. That means to you e economy, e um, the economy, well, these are the, the, kinds the of Federal Reserve, are, and the Fed, these stuff are, like these that. These are the kind of people they'll say that they want small government, but they believe in a trillion-dollar military <laughs> yeah. and endless wars and a drug yeah. war and all this other stuff. Their version of small government just means lower taxes. That's all they so, really So that about. was me prior <laughs> to meeting Kelly. Is that okay? And then – so I've been paying a lot of attention to just different things. And one of the things that uh, I've been really watching is I don't even really know where this guy is at, but I've been listening to him as this Vivek Ramaswamy. He was talking about eliminating whole federal organization. And I was, I was listening to him talk about how much money that would save. Like he was talking about the ATF and uh, Homeland Security 
uh, cutting the IRS in half and, 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 you know, he's throwing those numbers out there. And I was like, wow, you know, this guy's running on the Republican ticket. I've never seen anything quite like that before. Yeah. Um, Vivek says a lot of things that I like a lot and a lot of libertarians let, I am a libertarian. Um, mm. I will say this and that came from the Republican side as well. Um, I love George W. Bush. He was my first favorite president. And, um, that was in past tense, by the way, <laughs> yeah. I do not have any love for him anymore. Um, Vivek says a lot of good things. I am starting to become suspicious of him because he seems to say everything that I want to hear. And usually that's a red flag to me, but mm-hmm. he's also definitely come out in favor of being more hawkish towards the cartels and China, which is also a huge red flag for me. So it's like, even if you agree, we should not be in an endless war proxy war with Russia. Even thinking about having a war with the cartels in China is beyond maddening as well so i don't know where you're at but i am not in favor of the drug war um i do not like drugs personally but i don't want to fight the war anymore um i think there's a free market approach to that you know let people huff tailpipes or do drugs or whatever the hell they want just you know don't support them either but going to war against the cartels would be a disaster going to war against china would be a disaster um the only reason why we would want to go to war with China because of Taiwan is because Taiwan manufactures. Well, here's a great idea. Again, market solution. Let's allow the market to prosper and let's do the manufacturing here at home so that we don't need Taiwan yeah. and we don't have to worry about Taiwan. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is I have been listening to a lot of uh, younger Republicans. I feel that that quite a few of them like have Jesse, like like Jesse Kelly, I think. If yeah, you, yeah, Jesse Kelly, uh, Matt Walsh, uh, mm, Michael Knowles. A lot. They they they, cons- they consider themselves the new right. I followed them a lot. Um, the only thing I I definitely they they've got a lot more attitude and a lot less patience for the for the Republican Party, and I like that and appreciate that a lot. Um, I follow a lot of them pretty closely. Um, I like where they're coming from in a lot of ways. The only problem that I see with some of those folks is that they still want to use government to solve problems. And the problem that I have with that is that's what got you into trouble in the first place. When, um, so I I don't know if you were politically aware in, you know, the early two thousands when the war on terror started after nine 11, but you know, George Bush grew government huge and we had the Patriot act and we had the war on terror and it's everything the right that, thing to do and everything that we did to grow, to quote unquote protect the homeland because of you know radical islam all of that is now being used against us mm. so this patriot act so this idea of using government for good blows my mind because here's my question to these people and I would love to talk to somebody is like okay you think there's such thing as righteous government how do you plan to hold on to that righteous power without it being used against you because eventually you're going to get kicked out of office. Eventually you're not going to be popular. Then they have all those tools, all that power, and they're going to use it against you just as they're doing right now. When Trump got kicked out of office, that's what they started doing. They started targeting conservatives. Mm-hmm. So what's your solution? Are you going to go totalitarian? Libertarians I mean, are listed as literally being terrorists on some groups. Have you ever seen that, Tim? No, I haven't the, seen that. The government says like a, you know, a Gadsden yes. flag and yeah. they've af- released him these official federal signs of terrorism. 
And by being a libertarian who basically I'm just saying yeah. like you don't deserve so to John, tell me what to do. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you what to do. So, That's my whole premise. That means I'm legally a terrorist. John Brennan, the former uh, director of the CIA, I believe it was, he is on record after January 6th saying that we need to use all the war on terror weapons that we had and we need to use those inward to find, you know, to find these anti-government people. So yeah. again, the question is, how do, how do you have righteous government without having a powerful government that is not going to be used against you? And that's what the libertarian philosophy is. Mitigate power, roll back the power, empower the states, empower the people, de, you know, decentralize that power, make it harder for any one group of people to have power over another group of people. So, yeah. and that's where I'm coming from, because I used to be a big government Republican, effectively. That's what I thought was necessary at the time. And then you realize, well, shit. It's all corrupt. Yes. All sides. Spend a bunch of money on defense, that kind of Republican. Yeah, that was me, too. Yeah. Tim, I really appreciate you joining us for the episode today. I know that you care very much so about what you do and helping um, people to find, like, sustainable careers, realistic careers. You help young, a lot of young people learn a, a trade. And that's something that we talked about earlier. It can lead to generational wealth. It can at, change is, everyone. Is he out of E-Town? It, yes, yes. Okay. And I love how you're not shy about saying that, Tim. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a clo- some closing words of wisdom you'd like to say to someone who's listening? Even if they don't live in E-Town, that's something you care about. You want to impact people. You want to impact young people, helping them to learn a trade. But what's something you could say before we start to wrap up the episode? Well, in as little as two years, you can take your income and double it. Learning the trade. Well, I will income tell you this. Um, I've got an 18-year-old son. We're, we're going to try to get him into the Coast Guard. But I've also said as a plan B, or even when it gets out awards, also consider skilled trades. So maybe eventually I'll talk with you about mm, local connections. Yeah. I've even told him about the possibility of going with tradesmen, doing a ride-along for a couple of days and seeing what they do and how they do it and realize, you know, it's going to be hard work, but you get this going, you're making more money than a doctor sometimes. And you, you're your own boss. A doctor has to answer to people like Fauci. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not that... Di- you know, everyone says it's the skilled labor. Oh, I got to actually work really hard. Well, it's it's work. I, I'm not going to tell you that pulling wires and running wires like I come home and I'm dying at the end of the day. You know what I mean? But it's work. It keeps me. Well, it keeps definitely me. as a younger guy, you're going to have to pay your dues. You're going to do have to do a lot of the yeah. hard work. You're going to have to go into those dirty spaces and, you know, those hard places. And you're going to mm-hmm. have to learn a lot of that. But the payoff in the end is going to be a lot. Well, it's more worth it. So. Yeah, and then the last thing is one of these these far lefties is going to listen to us, and you know, we'll all be branded racist. Yeah, I That's know. Cool. What is the other? White sub, white sub, we're going to be a white supremacist, Nazi, racist, homophobe. Yeah. Well, you know, Asians and Hispanics now can be white supremacists, yep. according to uh, the left. <laughs> it's it's all good. <laughs> it's, it's a badge of honor. Tim, well, it was really, nice meeting you, Brian. I appreciate too, it. Tim, as always, I really appreciate you joining me for the episode today. Um, I look forward to speaking with you again sometime soon. Brian, thank you very much. Both of you guys have a great rest of the day. Thank you. Fantastic. Tell Yanni I said hello. I certainly will, Tim. Thank you. Yeah.